Hey everyone, it's Pastor Micah, lead pastor here at High Praise Crestview. I want to say thank you for choosing to listen to today's podcast. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from today and go connect with us on social media as well. My prayer is that as you listen to this message, you're encouraged, blessed, and transformed by the power of the Word of God. Now open your heart and get ready to receive what God wants to speak to you today. Did y'all come with expectation this morning, church? I pray that you did. How many of you were here last week? All right, now I want you to look at all the people that weren't and just look at them really intense, like, why weren't you? No, I'm just playing. Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) This morning, we're going to be continuing our series. If you weren't here, you're going to be lost, but it's okay. I'll I'll catch you up. But no, but listen, if you weren't here last week, uh, we're going to continue our series called The Transformation Room, Moving from Upper Room Experience to Outer Works Exampling. Last, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and we celebrated that. We had an incredible service, and I started this message, and whenever I began to study this message out, it was supposed to be a message, and then it turned into a three-week series, and so we're just going to go with it and do what the Holy Spirit wants to speak. So I know Pentecost has passed, but listen, the church is, should be consistently living out Pentecost. Pentecost is not an experience. I mean, it was, and it was a moment, but I said this last week. It is the moment that creates the momentum for what we're doing now. That's what Pentecost was. It was the moment that created the momentum for where the church is today. And unfortunately, I'll say this, and I talked about this last week a little bit, that the reason the church has lost momentum is because we've taken the power of the moment out of the momentum which means we've taken the power of the Holy Spirit out of many churches, and then we look and go, why is the church not as powerful as it was in in the book of Acts? Why is the church not as powerful today as it was six decades, eight decades ago? Well, little by little, the church has removed the Holy Spirit completely out of the picture, and we've turned into a performance rather than people that are, that are earnestly seeking God's spectacular power to move in a service. And we've done very good at performing things, and listen to me, I understand doing things in excellence, trying to do things the best of your ability. There is nothing wrong with that. At high praise, we strive to do everything we can do in excellence, and we do it to the best of our abilities. I'm, you're not going to come in here and go, well, I just didn't turn the AC on this week because we're just going to earnestly seek after God, and we don't, I don't want to worry about bills, okay? Like, I still want you to be comfortable to an extent. I'll say it like this, too. I know we're loud. We're very loud. Okay? Like, high praise, we're loud. If you couldn't hear me, it's because we're loud. <laughs> I, I know that we're loud. And, 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 but, so these sound panels you see on the wall, the reason we started doing this, we're adding more, is we're trying to help with the acoustics of the room because it's a very difficult room to work with because these ceilings are extremely low. And if you know anything about sound, this is sound nightmare, okay? This, this room, the way it's shaped, is like not the best for sound, but we're doing the best of our ability. I say that to say once again, we're going to do everything we can to excellence, but it's not performance. We will never, this church will never be a performance-driven church, We are not a customer service industry. We're not a business. Is there a business side to church? Absolutely. We're not a business. We're a church. We're a people of God 
gathering together to earnestly seek after his spirit and ask for God to move in our lives. So, and that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. Now, Jesus tells the disciples to go and tarry in Jerusalem. And then he says, go there, blah, 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 so on and so forth. We see all that take place. They go. This is the fulfillment of that. Jesus is gone. So he said, I'll send, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He says that in Acts chapter 1, right? And so now they're there, and they're waiting. And they're waiting, and they're waiting. And this incredible moment happens that creates the momentum of the church. There was the birth of the church. But listen, once again, I'm going to say this. The birth was an experience, but experience is not the climax of this moment. It is a moment that creates momentum for the church to move forward. Amen? Now, I'm, I'm not going to read all of Acts chapter 2 this morning because we'll be here for a little bit. Uh, I read it to you last week. If you've never read the account of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, I encourage you to take some time this week. Read all of Acts 2 so that when you come back next week... This will make a little more sense to you. But I'm gonna, I am going to hit a couple of the scriptures that are very important. So if you will, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1. It says this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. I said this just a minute ago. So they're all there. They're waiting. And it says, And suddenly there came a sound from his heaven uh, of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were. Then appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them. Now we're going we're gonna to roll down a little bit. We're going to go down to... Um, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, actually. Let me do this. So Holy Spirit enters the room. They all begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. And then it says that there were, the nations basically had gathered there. There was people of all different tongue. Now what's interesting is this, and I didn't talk about this much last week. If you study, if anybody's ever studied the Tower of Babel, Pentecost is the healing of the Tower of Babel. So at the Tower of Babel, they go in divided tongues. Because they were all speaking one language, but then they left with divided tongues, and they go to their different nations. But then now we have in Acts chapter 2, all the languages are together. These nations are here, and now God has healed that and gave them one singular tongue to speak to each other. Because that's what the scripture shows here. It says then they begin to speak in tongues, and they're going around, and they're speaking in these, this language. And it says that every single uh, nation that was represented could understand what they were saying, even though they weren't of the same nationality, the same understanding, okay? Imagine right now someone from, let's just say from China, walks in the room who speaks Chinese. Speaks, and, I mean, that's all they speak. They, have one, they, they can only speak one language. But all of a sudden, they start speaking, and we understand everything that they're saying. That's what took place here. And they're not just... <laughs> never mind. That's what took place here. Everybody was understanding each other, okay? So then it goes on, and it's like, hey, whatever could this mean? Are they full of new wine? And Peter stands up with the eleven and raised his voice and said, men of Judea, this is verse 14, by the way, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Peter said, it's not five o'clock somewhere. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit on all uh, spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. He's speaking of all of them. Everyone should prophesy. So then it goes on. It talks about how Peter said them to repent, 
remission of sins. You re- and then after that, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is for your children, for you and your children, to every generation, basically, is what he's saying. And it goes on to talk about, um, we won't talk too much about this. Maybe today we'll come back to it. But verse 40, we'll pick up, uh, if we get there today, we'll pick up there. So let's just stop right there for right now. So what we're talking about in this series is five things that an upper room transfer- transformation should lead to. Five things that an upper room transformation should lead to. Excuse me. Number one, we talked about this last week. It will break off a prejudiced spirit. If there's still prejudice in your heart, if there's still racism in your heart, I'm talking about, I don't care if it's this much and it's real hidden deep. If there's racism or prejudice or sexism in your heart, let the Holy Spirit remove it out of you today. If you still have that in your heart, you are having an experience without the transformation. But the experience was for the transformation. You are having a whoo, Holy Ghost mo- moment where, you know what I'm talking about, like old Pentecostal, so there's the Holy Spirit. Like we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to enter the room. The Holy Spirit's already living and dwelling within you. Should be at least. So now, whenever I walk into a room, I don't have to go, I'm waiting for the Acts 2 moment. I'm waiting for the upper room experience, for the for the for the the spink the, the spingling the t- the spine tingling moment to happen. My spider senses to go off, and my hair on the back of my head to lift up like I'm a dog. You know, I'm not waiting for that. I can go ahead and press in in the beginning of service. I can press. Well, I'm really blowing your mind for a second because some of you don't understand this. You can press in before music even plays. You can bring expectation, not wait for expectation. A lot of us, we wait until, all right, Pastor Mike, I need you to yell or do something before I'm going to really get into this. Or Pastor Chelsea, I need you to like, you know, do a little fancy run that Pastor Mike can't do so that I can really get into this this morning. Or Ben or Brad, I need that just I need that guitar line or that's really going to make me feel something. Or, or, or Michael, I really need you to, you know, just hit the crashes as hard as you can that's my thing okay that's the holy ghost right there praise him with the clanging symbol that's amen uh you can walk into the room you, before you even walk in the building you can prepare your heart that is the transformation of the holy ghost within you so where i'm not waiting for a moment i'm living in the moment and living with momentum but it should break off a prejudice spirit. Don't call yourself Pentecostal if you still have prejudice in your heart. Amen? Even Peter, whenever he's talking about, you know, his, the spirit being poured out on all flesh, your sons and your daughters, you know, all these things, he's, he's prophesying this, he's declaring this. Your old men dream dreams, talks about this, all these things. I joked last week, I said the old men will dream dreams, I guess just because they're going to sleep more, I don't know. But they all have something there's something that the generations have to do which means this and this is in the second point we'll talk about it in a minute i said this last week not one generation is greater than the other either that's prejudice in itself but we don't like to talk about that because we're better than the generation that's coming up we're we're just we know we know a lot more yeah you may have a lot more experience I'm way ahead of myself. <laughs> but I've heard it said, like, people don't change. Actually, people do change. People are different now than they were in the 50s. Anybody was alive in the 50s in this room? 
People are different today than they were in the 50s, aren't they? A lot of things have changed. There wasn't social media. There wasn't the things that we, and you go, well, that's just external. Yeah, but the external really does change the internal of people many times. It rewires minds and the ways people think and the way that the predispositions that people have towards other people because now you can see what everybody thinks all the time, whether you want to or not. So now you've changed the way you think about other people because they're constantly posting what they think all the time. (laughs) People have changed. So the way that you dealt with people in the 70s is not the way you're probably going to deal with people in, the 20, in 2020, 2023. Things have changed. But there's no, there's no generation that is better than the other. We'll talk about that some more in a second. But there, there should be unity. There should be no prejudice, no racism, no sexism. None of those things have no place in the church and will have no place in high praise. There must be unity. What, is, what, what does the Bible say about unity? Well, the Bible says this about unity. It's where God commands the blessing. So that's why we're going to be a church that's unified. And if we can't find anything else to unify over, we can all unify over this, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and people need to be saved through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we can't agree on anything else, if you, if, if, listen, if you think that tongues is not for you and you can't pray in a heavenly language, that's fine. We can have differing opinions on that. But do we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? Okay, then we can work together. Let's do this thing, okay? And whenever we start getting divided and have prejudice even towards, I'm going to really step on toes, towards denominations and different thought process denomination. Now, it's one thing if it's heresy. If it is heretical, then obviously we have some conversations to be had. When it's differences, we can have conversations to be had, but preferences can be different. And practices can even be different. Amen? Now, number two was this. The other thing that a, a uh, uh, upper room experience should have is this. God causes you to value, that experience causes you to value every generation. And we got halfway through this point last week. We're going to pick up here halfway in just a moment at this point. In Exodus, God reveals himself as who? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He reveals himself as the God of generations. That's why I love what we have this morning. We have four generations that are represented in this family right over here. And that's an incredible thing. Today, in our church, uh, as our family, we have three generations that are represented here of our family. In Panama City today, of my family, there's four generations that are represented, right? Four generations, I had to think about it for a second. There's four generations that are represented here today, right? One, two, three. I'm having, no, not, not, not here today. Three generations here today. There's four generations there. God is always about moving through generations. That's why he reveals himself that way to Moses. Scripture said it like this in Acts. It says, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. What does it say? Your sons and your daughters, speaking of generations, shall prophesy. Your, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, speaking of generations. And my manservants and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they all shall prophesy. It's talking about every gender, from the men, for men and for women. So he says that the generations are going to work together to further the church and prophesy. One generation is not better than the other, but every generation is different. Not one is better than the other, but every generation is different. We got to stop pitting generations against each other. And unfortunately, the church has been very bad about this. I'm going to go as far to say this. The church has been worse than the world about this. Whew. 
Pastors, uh, I'm really thinking about this. We've had leaders for years. I don't want to say just pastors, leaders in the church for years that will not take young men, and I'm not talking about 12-year-old boys, okay? I'm talking about 18, 19, 20-year-old men and begin to disciple them and teach and train them and raise them and show them how to do things in the church because they're too insecure and scared that they might overtake them. And we say it's because, well, I'm the man. No, you're afraid of other generations. But you look at the world and you see actors and actresses every single day that actors are taking other actors under their wing and teaching them how to act. We see it in sports. The sports world does it excellently. They get these young guys in there. And what happens? The senior sports people, they begin to teach the younger generation on how to play the game, how to understand the game. This is what works. I tried this. This is what didn't work. But the church, we have not done well at this. And it's really because we haven't truly valued every generation as we should. And whenever we can value generations the way that we're called to, the world won't win the generations the church will. But the problem is the world has done it better than the church because in the church, we complain about the generations. In the world, they make ways for generations. I know it's strong. (laughs) You love me? (laughs) There should always be a place for generations in the church. I'm thankful for high praise because we've always been a church that's exemplified that. Even in Panama City, we've been a church that exemplifies always making room for other generations to step up to the calling of God in their life. We make place for them. That's one of the reasons we felt we knew that High Praise Panama City was doing this internship. We loved the idea, and we said, you know what? We could do it on some scale for us because obviously we don't have the staff and so on and so forth that Panama City has right now. Uh, is Pastor Chelsea and I, and we have part-time with Gabby, and we said, but we could do something to help begin to teach and train these young people on how to do things in the church, to make them feel more a part of the church, to speak into their life, to have relationship and discipleship with them. And we're going to be committed to this. And that's why I talked to Pastor Chelsea about it. And we're open to talking about even for our homeschool people that are in the room that once school gets back in, if there's still every Friday you want to come up here and learn things and work, we're open to having that discussion and talking about that because we really do want to pour into the next generation like, like we've never done as a church before so far. Now, that's not a very long tenure because we've only been here for a little over two and a half years. But listen, what we start with now is only going to grow in the future. That's right. It's a foundation for where we're going. So this is the ground level where we're starting, and we're going to go forward from here. But we're going to value every generation. The dying words, the, the words of a dying church are this. We've never done it this way before, so we won't do it this way now. And that comes from a critical and judgmental spirit. Perpetuating general divide in the form of criticism and generalizations will never, repu- re- 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 Lord have mercy, produce repentance. Because correction without relationship brings contempt. Before criticizing the next generation, I want you to ask yourself something. And young people, before criticizing the older generation, I want you to ask yourself something. And middle generation, before (laughs) criticizing either generation, I want you to ask yourself something. Are you genuinely attempting to pursue relationship and championing those in a generation other than your own? Because if you're not, then you're just a critic of other generations. Young and old are called to work together to fill the purpose of God. 
we got to push past preferences of what we like on outward appearance. And sometimes we have to just look at the inward character. I mean, just imagine that. I mean, it, that, that doesn't mean it's easy. Because we have our preferences and they're instilled within us, right? Like, if a guy's wearing thinner jeans, don't listen to him because he's probably rebellious. If a guy is in a suit, well, for young people, he's too stuck up and proud and prideful and, you know, I don't want to hear from him. He's too stuffy. Both of them are wrong. Preferences will kill principles that can be uh, uh, good for your life. You will miss incredible godly principles if you're always worried about your preferences. Now, at the same time, don't ever break your principle and beliefs of what is truth of the word of God to try to listen to somebody because that will lead to a poisoned principle in your life. I know it's a little bit more teaching today, but this is good. I, want, I really want you to chew on this this morning. I gave this last week. I'm doing a long recap, but there was a, I really want to hit these things. What can a younger generation learn from an older generation? They have wisdom beyond our years. That is a fact. And something, in my opinion, I said this last week, that a gener- generation now needs to learn is to be faithful and live little and not expect the, the Instagram overnight fame. There has been many pastors that I've seen that truly have a calling of God in their life, but because their church didn't blow up like Mike Todd's church overnight, they quit and throw in the towel because, oh, well, obviously I'm just not called to do this. No, maybe you were. Maybe I think you absolutely were. But because it didn't blow up overnight and you didn't have 200, 300 people start the church with you and you're having to get in there and actually do the work of the ministry and be there every single day and work your tail off and be faithful (laughs) because... That's oftentimes what faithfulness looks like. Think about Joseph. Oh, think about Joseph. I, I love, anybody ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt? I love that movie. Anybody seen the other one? Uh, 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 the Joseph and, the, and the, the King of Dreams or whatever it is? That's what I'm thinking of. I said Prince of Egypt because I was listening to the soundtrack last week as I was coming to church. Deliver us. It's incredible. I, I, time I speak about Joseph, I have this thing in my mind. If you've seen that movie, Joseph's on the floor and he's got a, a bucket and some water and he's on the ground and he's just like scrubbing the floors of Potiphar's house. Just, he's down there just scrubbing the floors. And I've thought about that numerous times. Whenever God's called me, I know he has calling on my life, but what am I doing? I'm cleaning up poop out of a toilet. Am I pastor? Sure. Do I have a calling God in my life? Absolutely. What am I doing? Picking poop out of a toilet. No matter how it's gross, I won't talk about it. <laughs> Let's just say, a couple weeks ago, somebody forgot to flush, and I walked in, and it's not good. <laughs> I, th- I say that to say this, that in Pastor Chelsea and I, you know, we believe that we were called here. We believe God's built the church here. We believe that God's called us to this region, this area. I can remember coming in and having church with 20 people and going home and going, God, are you sure you called me to this? It's not working very well. I can remember coming and cleaning the building, driving over before we even moved here and driving over throughout the week, having to be faithful with little, faithful where we were. Let me speak to you younger people in the room. Faithfulness always pays off. Don't quit. You see that in the life of Joseph. Faithfulness paid off. Did he get beaten, thrown into a prison, all these different things? Yeah, it happened. And you know what it says about Joseph? He was faithful throughout it all, and because of his faithfulness, he was favored. 
God's favor will follow if you're faithful. Amen? The older generation, what can you learn from a younger generation? That zeal isn't an age, it's a heart condition. And the second thing you can learn is this, that you might not always be right. And younger people, you need to know that too. You're probably not right a lot of times. But there are times that the younger generation is correct about things. When it comes to even reaching their generation, guess what? They know better how to reach their generation than you do. You want to put on a magic show at the park. You are going to have five young people there. They don't care about magicians, illusionists. They don't care. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, sweet. I might show up for a magician at the park. I don't know. <laughs> but if you want to reach Gen Alpha and Gen, Gen Z, that's not going to work. You've got to find what ministers to them. And guess what that means? You, as a person who may think less about a generation coming up, may have to go have a conversation with a generation that's coming up. And you know what? That conversation might look like them doing this a lot. But that doesn't give you the right to just walk away from the conversation if you really care about that generation. Amen? Moses got it wrong. Missed the promised land the whole generation did because the generation coming up said, remember, they had zeal. And they said, we're going. We've already spied out the land. I checked it out, bro. Like, we, let's go. And Moses is like, hmm. Sounds a little, little disconcerting to me that there's giants in the land. I don't think we should do this. And guess what? Moses missed it. That doesn't mean, but, and here's the flip side, because we still regard Moses as an incredible hero of faith. And he was. And he is. I say that to say this. For my older generation that heard, just heard that, I want you to hear this too. Because you aren't right one time does not mean that the rest of your life is now a wash. And even the rest of your future has to be a wash. But there are times that the younger generation knows some things, has insight into some things. Now we're finally where we were last week as we we're coming to a close in our message today. Uh, <laughs> I re-preached it and I re-preached it very different than last week. Gen Z, let me give you the age groups of Gen Z real quickly, 11 to 26. I call this the computer and hand generation. So they're the ones that they had iPads as soon as they came out of the womb. Gen Alpha is 0 to 10. I call them the YouTube star generation because every kid 0 to 10 wants to be famous on YouTube. And, hey, parents, if you can do it, I mean, cash in. I'm just saying, all right? <laughs> and then there's the millennials, 27 to 42. These are the generations that consistently get talked bad about probably the most. I don't know how many times I've heard those millennials. We're young with kids now. We're not like the teenager that you didn't like skateboarding on the sidewalk. Right. <laughs> 58% of Gen Z don't believe in God. That's millions of people who haven't had a real encounter with Jesus. The problem is we're always referring them to the, as the next generation, but we've got to change our verbiage and they're the now generation. They're the generation that need our attention now. But the problem is this. When you look at churches, Henrietta Muir says this. This is one of my favorite quotes of 
all eternity is this right here. When you look at most churches, their programming, their staff, and their budget, it appears that children must first become prodigals. Then we will go about putting together elaborate programs and events to save them. The church is not focused enough on the upcoming generation. I, when I was talking to that pastor friend the other day, he said this to me, and it's sticking, it stuck with me. It just popped in my mind. He said, you need to invest in the people who can't invest now. Invest in the ones that can't give anything back right now. And then you will see the return on that investment in your future. It's like interest. You need to invest in children now. Age 4 to 14 is the age where children's minds go through their biggest formation process. After 14, it is very difficult to actually reach and teach children, especially for the gospel. Nearly 80% of people in churches today decide to follow Jesus before age 18. How many of you in here decide to follow Jesus before age 18? You look around, that's about 80%. 50% of the 80% decided to follow Jesus before age 12. How many of you in here decided to follow Jesus before age 12? That's also a lot, it's about, it literally just about cut in half. That's why we have to really put emphasis on generations and not pit them against each other. Psalm 78, 4 says this. I'm going to go about 15 more minutes. We all give me 15 more minutes, 10, 15 more minutes. Y'all stay with me. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Listen to me. The biggest insult we can give kids is a low expectation. We often teach, treat kids like they're dumber than they are when it comes to the gospel. But listen, if a kid can remember every lyric to how far I'll go in Moana, they can remember a scripture or two. You may have to put it in song form. You may have to put it in hand motion form. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know how I know that? I taught it in kids' church. There's numerous scriptures I could do right now that we taught over and over again. Never be lacking in zeal, but no, it's never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Like, you may have to do things like that with them to help them remember because that's what happens with Disney. They put incredible melodies to things, and these kids are like, how far I go? I mean, half the, half the lyrics are probably still getting wrong, but at least they're there. I mean, they're there. Kids are not dumb. They understand things. And it's because of this right here. We act like there's a big Holy Ghost and a little Holy Ghost. There is not a big Holy Ghost and a little Holy Ghost. Same size Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost doesn't change because of your size. People who are thicker are not more full of the Holy Ghost than people who are thinner. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got more Holy Ghost because I ate more at the buffet than you. <laughs> like, there's not a different size Holy Ghost. We keep giving Jesus, and we keep giving kids butter knives whenever God wants to ha- wants them to have swords. Though the sword strength coming out of their mouth is the same that comes out of your mouth. When a kid can say, when a kid can say, "Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh," it's just as, as powerful as whenever I say it. Whenever a kid shares the gospel with a child on the playground. 
Hey, listen, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's just as powerful whenever I go down to Desi's, and I look at a person, and tell them, I just said Desi's because I had fried chicken on the mind. Listen, for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Same power. Because the Scripture is same through every generation. If God is the same through every generation, that means that the Word of God is the same through every generation. I am the Lord God. I change not. This is the word of God. It changes not. Amen? People are kids. They, they need ministry. We fed them purees for a long time until they were 18, and then they got tired of it and left, and we go, well, I don't know what happened. Well, we were still feeding them baby food at age 12. We didn't change anything. And the peas that used to taste good in puree form, they don't want anymore. They want steak and potatoes with a dinner roll and maybe a little bit of garlicky green beans. That's what they want now. Or actually probably like they want chicken tendies. Like that's probably more where we're at. They need ministry. They need people to place importance on them. We have to find better ways to use technology and rid ourselves of hypocrisy if we want to reach the next generation or the now generation. The generation that we consider woke now, if we don't actually begin to instill things, the next generation will be even more so. Every generation will get more extreme until the church, the generations in the church begin to work together and minister to generations. Amen? They're very authentic. They're seekers of truth. They can, snuck, they can snuff out the fake like that. They want real Christianity, not hip hypocritical Christianity, which is what's been in the pulpit for years. Live this way, kids, while I go do whatever I want. Live this way, kids, while I go sleep with the secretary. Live this way, kids, while I go and talk bad about every friend that you have. This is hypocritical of the church and has no room in the pulpits of the church. Amen? Hallelujah. Number three, stay with me for a few more minutes. I'm coming. I'm coming to the close, I promise. Number three, turns greed into generosity. Turns greed, I know you went, what? <laughs> turns greed into generosity. I said it really fast, didn't I? It turns greed into generosity. If you have greed in your heart, when you walk into the upper room experience in the transformation room, your greed gets turned into generosity. At least it should. That's what happened in Acts. It turns your wanting, wanting, wanting into wanting, wanting, wanting to give. After experiencing the Holy Spirit, there ought to be an understanding that he is the giver and the provider. I'm going to show you now through Scripture where it shows why I'm talking about how it should change your perspective. Verse 44 of Acts 2 says this, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So you see here they began to give, to be generous above what they were beforehand. Even if you're already a naturally generous person, your generosity should even go to another level after you experience the, the, the transformation of the Holy Spirit. You don't know God as provider. Let me show you how he's provider. Think about this. What did God give you? He gave you life. What did God give you? He gave you his son. What did Jesus give you? He gave his life. And then what happens next? He gives us the Holy Spirit. God consistently, continually shows up 
as a provider and someone who gives. You ought to know him as that way. Generosity does not stem from what you have, but rather knowing him as your provider. Let me say this. Robert Morris said it this way, and I love the way he said it, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but it says this. There is a pro, there's, a, there's a poverty gospel, which is not a gospel at all. God does not want you to be broke, busted, and disgusted. Gospel means good news. That means poverty gospel is not good news. Does anybody want to be broke, busted, and disgusted? No. There's a prosperity gospel, which is not the gospel either because it sets you up for failure and disappointment whenever that million-dollar check doesn't show up in the mail all of a sudden. You're disappointed. The true gospel when it comes to finances is a provision gospel because that's who God is. That's who he reveals himself as, is as the provider. Being generous becomes easy whenever you realize that. Whenever you realize that man's not your source, but God is always the provider. And listen to me, loving people properly will cause you to be extravagantly generous. There was this one time in Hyper Panama City, we did worship in the park. And I love this story, and I don't know why it's always stuck out in my head that this happened. We're doing worship in the park. Um, I don't remember the name of the park, but anyways, it doesn't really matter. McKenzie Park. Yeah, we're at McKenzie Park there in, in Panama City, and our church is out there. We were younger. Pastor Chelsea and I weren't doing worship yet. We were still teenagers who just liked each other. Thought she was cute. But anyways, uh, so no big deal. Uh, so she was there, and she complimented, which Pastor Chelsea still does this all the time. I am very awkward if I do this. I'm like, I, I like your shirt. And Pastor Chelsea is so good at complimenting people. We'll be going through Starbucks drive-thru, and she'll notice some ladies' nails. But, oh, my gosh, I absolutely love your nails. Just, like, random. Like, we were out of the pool the other day, and she goes, I just love, I just love your bathing suit and just your whole, everything about you. And starts complimenting this girl, and I'm like, you know, that's how I am. So, Pastor Chelsea goes, she goes, I love your sunglasses. Once again, she's like 12 or something, probably. Not the lady who's walking around. She's an older, she's probably 40 or 50 years old. I say older, I mean older than us. I'm not calling you older for 40 or 50, okay? Anyways. So, the lady then, it's bright outside, goes, oh, you do? Here, you can have them. And just gives her sunglasses. And Chelsea's like, no, no, no. And she, no, I want you to have them. I give that story because of this. As small as that was, I want you to think, and this is why it still sticks to me. I'm probably 13 or 14 here, maybe. I don't even know if I'm, I'm probably, we're probably younger than that there. Because I probably been playing drums if I was that age. So, it was probably, you were probably closer to 10. And when she gives her the glasses, it's always stuck with me. Why would somebody just go, oh yeah, these, you know, you can have them. And I fully believe it's because that woman knew how to love people properly. There was a generosity in her heart that call, called her to extravagant generosity. Genera generosity is an action. Generosity is love in action. Pastor, Pastor Roberts always said like this, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Listen, if we care and love for those around us as we should, we will live generous. Miss Donna, will you come play? I want you to think about this. The, the story of the Good Samaritan, he gave to someone who in all accounts of what we have should have not been worthy of actually receiving something. Because 
Jews and Samaritans were bitter enemies. They hated each other. They did not like one another. But this is what Jesus uses in the story. And what does the Samaritan do? He, he, he doesn't just help give life to the man, but he picks him up, takes him to the place, says, I will come back and I will pay all the bills for it too. Love will always call you to be extravagantly generous. Proverbs 21, 26 says this, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. If you have God's spirit within you and you're, you're living a godly lifestyle, you'll love to give. It won't be, oh no, I gotta give. It's gonna love to give. You're gonna enjoy to give. Luke 12, 33 through 34 says this, this will store up treasure, treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Listen to me. Being a generous person is a kingdom investment into your eternity. Here on earth, there's recession. There's moth. There's rust. There's thieves. There's all these things. But an investment of generosity, God sees that. And you're storing up treasures in heaven, which is one day your eternal home. I believe fully God desires for you to have nice things here on earth. We live in a nice home. We drive nice, a nice car. We have clothes from Walmart and Amazon that are nice. I like my shirt, okay? I like my Nike blazers that are looking a little rusty. But listen, this is not what it's about. I want to be somebody who's generous, lives to give. And if you've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be someone who lives to give and wants to give and loves to give. So I'm going to say it one more time. The three things that we've got to so far in the transformation room, the three things that should happen and take place in your life is one, it should break off a prejudiced spirit. Two, it should cause you to value every generation. And three, it should turn your greed into generosity. Will you stand to your feet this morning? Amen. Once you stand, I want you to lift both hands to the Lord, if you will. I want to pray this morning. I want to pray over this word. Lord, we just thank you for the word of God. Lord, we thank you, Lord, even as James said, Lord, that we'll not just be hearers of the word, but we'll be doers also. We won't be like those that see ourselves in a mirror and walk away and forget who we are completely. But Lord, we thank you that this is a word of identity over us, who we're called to be as Christians and as the church together. So Lord, we just thank you for this word. We say yes and amen. Let it be so. Let it change our hearts, change our minds, and change our lives. Let there bring where the word needed to bring correction and conviction today. Lord, we ask that that be so. And Lord, we say, here we are, change us, mold us, transform us in who you're calling us to be. So Lord, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. We thank you for everything you've done, you're doing, and you're going to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen and amen. Listen.